Welcome to Lessons for Living Television. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. Did you know that the sun at its center reaches temperatures of some 15 million degrees Celsius? Or that one million Earths could fit inside the sun? If a hollow sun was filled up with spherical Earths, then around 960,000 of them could fit inside. On the other hand, if these Earths were squished inside with no wasted space, then around 1.3 million Earths could fit inside the sun. The sun's surface area is some 11,990 times that of the Earth's. Did you know that the sun contains 99.86% of the mass in the solar system? The mass of the sun is approximately 330,000 times greater than that of the Earth. It's almost three-quarters hydrogen, while most of the remaining mass is helium. The sun is an almost perfect sphere. There is only a 10-kilometer difference in its polar diameter compared to its equatorial diameter. Now, considering the vast expanse of the sun, this means it is the closest thing to being a perfect sphere that has been observed in nature. Do you know that light from the sun takes about eight minutes to reach Earth with a mean average distance of 150 million kilometers from Earth and with light traveling at some 300,000 kilometers per second Dividing one by the other gives us an approximate time of 500 seconds or 8 minutes and 20 seconds. The sun travels at 220 kilometers per second. That's 24,000 to 26,000 light years from the galactic center and it takes the sun 225 to 250 million years to complete an orbit of the center of the Milky Way. The distance from the sun to the Earth changes throughout the year. Well, because the Earth travels on this elliptical orbit around the sun, the distance between the two bodies varies from 147 to 152 million kilometers. Near the end of his life, Jean-Paul Sartre told Pierre Victor, I do not feel that I am the product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe, but someone who was expected, prepared, prefigured. In short, he said, a being whom only a creator could put here. And this idea of a creating hand refers to God. Now, his longtime companion and fellow philosopher, Simone de Beauvoir, reacted by saying, how should one explain the senile act of a turncoat? Well, on today's program, we are continuing with our study of the creation week. In Genesis chapter 1, let's go straight into our study. Let's go down to verse 14. Here's what we read. Then God said, 
let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, a fourth day. Evolution has struggled to explain all the bodies that exist in the universe. How could they have evolved out of spontaneous generation? All the trips to the moon, all the satellites sent into space, all of the orbiting paraphernalia have given absolutely no insight into how the universe, the bodies in the universe, could have possibly evolved. And that's understandable to me because they didn't evolve. Here in our text, it simply says, God made them all. And when it says God made the stars along with the sun and the moon, it's saying something about his immense power. Now, if you remember back in your high school physics class, light travels at some 186,000 miles a second. Now that translates into six trillion miles in a year. At this rate, it has to travel 32,000 years before it will reach the center of our galaxy. That's at six trillion miles a year. But wait, it still has another 50,000 years to get to the other side of the Milky Way. And when it does, it will leave behind some 100 billion stars. Remember, the Milky Way galaxy is only an average-sized galaxy. And that as far as we know, there are at least 50 billion galaxies in the known universe. Much of this has been determined by the use of the Hubble telescope cameras. But the psalmist says in the 8th Psalm and verse 3 the following. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? You see, we've only seen the work of God's fingers. What an awesome God. And Genesis explains all of that by saying simply this. He, God, made the stars. The question is often asked. How can such distant light reach the earth so fast in a six literal day creation? If it takes a light beam hundreds of thousands of years to get out there, doesn't it take hundreds of thousands of years for the light to reach us? Well, I did some research. I came across Dr. Edmund Holroyd. He's a research physical scientist for the U U.S. Bureau of Recl Reclamation, Denver, Colorado. He holds a PhD in atmospheric science from the University of New York at Albany. Here's what he says. The starry heavens, when considered along with the speed of light, certainly appear 
to have had a history longer than a few thousand years. Even within our own Milky Way galaxy and our local group of galaxies, this quickly brings us to the apparent elapsed times for starlight to travel to us much greater than the elapsed time in the biblical account of creation. We young earth advocates have an apparent problem, therefore. But he continues, however, there is an interesting phenomenon among the stars that gives a time scale in agreement with that of the Bible. By watching other galaxies of similar composition to our own, we know how often there are supernova, such as about every 25 years in a galaxy like our own. We do not see that many explosions in our Milky Way because dust obscures our local view. Furthermore, we can measure the general rate of expansion of the nebular remnants of the explosions. We can calculate that we should be able to detect those nebula for millions of years before they diffuse and blend into the background. Our radio telescopes can see through the dust with ease and detect many more supernova remnants than we can see at optical wavelengths. How many supernova remnants are out there in our galaxy? There are only enough for 7,000, not millions of years of explosions. Here is an important discrepancy that has been known, he says, for decades. George Wald, former professor of biology at Harvard University, a Nobel laureate, wrote, the reasonable view was to believe in spontaneous generation, the only alternative to believe in a single primary act of supernatural creation. There is no third position. For this reason, many scientists a century ago chose to regard the belief in spontaneous generation as a philosophical necessity. It is a symptom of the philosophical poverty of our time that this necessity no longer appreciated. Most modern biologists, having reviewed with satisfaction the downfall of spontaneous generation hypothesis, yet are unwilling to accept the alternative belief in special creation, and they're left with nothing. Now, he would say that the entire universe, billions upon billions of galaxies, is the product of irrational, random, spontaneous generation, something coming into existence out of nothing. Now, when you look at the Genesis account, there's a wonderful parallel here. On day one, God created light. On day four, he created the lights that become the means by which light is transmitted. On day two, we study that God created the water below, and matching up with that on day five, he created the fish for that water. On day two, he also created the heavens above. And on day five, he created the birds to fly in that heaven. On day three, he created the land and the plants and the trees. And on day six, we'll see paralleling that, he created man and the land animals that would live on those plants and live on the dry land. So there's this wonderful parallel. Now we come to then day four. Now if you go back to verse three for just a second, 
you'll read that, then God said, let there be light. Now, then go down to verse 14. It says, then God said, there were lights in the expanse of the heavens. Well, people will always say to me, well, you can't have light shining all over the place without any stars, without any sun, without any moon, because the light that we know, well, it comes from those sources. And they say, if there weren't any sun, there couldn't be any plants on day three. How could God create plants on day three and then the sun on day four? Photosynthesis, which is critical to the life of plants, doesn't exist apart from the sun. And so that doesn't make any sense. But you will note there was light already on day one. And where there is light, there is heat. And where there is light and heat, there is photosynthesis. The requisite conditions for plant life to survive on day three was already in existence because light was already there doing what light always does. It's just that the light hadn't been specifically attached to these stellar bodies. It should be evident to all of us that stars and the sun are not the creators of the light. God is the creator of light. God happens to use them, the sun and the moon and the stars, as radiating bearers of a light that was already there before them and a light that was there without them. Here's what I believe. I believe God took the light which he had already created and he attached it to these luminaries. He made them on day four. You see, John Calvin, the great reformer, wrote in his commentary on Genesis a very brief statement. He wrote this. The only difference is this, that the light was before dispersed, but now proceeds from lucid bodies, which in serving this purpose obeyed the command of God. Now, as similar as in other descriptions of creation days, the work is now repeated and further defined. Look down at verse 16, Genesis 1, verse 16. And God made the two great lights. Now, he's now defining these lights. It says, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. Now, those two great lights are the sun and the moon. Look at the greater light that's going to govern the day down in verse 18. Here's what it says. Uh, to govern the day, that's the sun's function, the sun being the most dominant governing the day. The lesser light, verse 16, would be the moon, and it governs the night in the same way the sun governs the day. Its function, then, is to cast its light over the night. And he made the stars also. That's it. What else can be said? The economy of words here is just staggering. Now, some interesting evidence comes from the study of the sun. Dr. Danny Faulkner is a professor of astronomy and physics at the University of South Carolina at Lancaster. He holds a PhD in astronomy from Indiana University. Here's what he said. We believe that the sun gets its energy from the thermonuclear fusion of hydrogen and helium in its core. According to the theory, 
the sun has enough nuclear fuel to power itself for about 10 billion years. If the sun is 4.5 billion years old, then it has exhausted about half of its potential lifetime. During those 4.5 billion years, the sun would not have remained static. The sun must have gradually changed. The conversion of hydrogen into helium in the solar core would have altered the core's composition, which, have, which would have resulted in the sun's core slowly shrinking and increasing in temperature. Calculations show that the sun ought to be 40% brighter today than when it allegedly formed 4.5 billion years ago. Then Faulkner goes on to pose the question, how do we then explain this early faint sun paradox? Evolutionists who believe that the earth and the sun are billions of years old must assume that the atmosphere of the early earth had much more greenhouse gases than our current atmosphere. As the sun gradually brightened, the Earth's atmosphere gradually evolved so that it had less greenhouse gases to counter the increase in the sun's luminosity. How two completely unrelated processes could be evolved in exactly compensating ways for billions of years is amazing. For me, I'll be honest with you, I find it more reasonable to assume that the Earth was created only a few thousand years ago, but pretty much the atmospheric composition that it now has, and that the sun has not brightened appreciably since its formation a few thousand years ago. You see, the psalmist, to me, he had it right. The psalmist says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. Psalm, the 19th Psalm. I love how it always signs off in verse 19. And there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Now, just in case somebody might not get it, this all happened in a 24-hour period. Verse 5, day 1. There was evening, there was morning one day. Verse 8, there was evening, there was morning a second day. Verse 13, there was evening, there was morning a third day. And we just read verse 19. Verse 23, the same thing. There was evening, there was morning a fifth day. And verse 31 says, there was evening, there was morning the sixth day. And then chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 1 and 2 says... Thus the heaven and the earth were completed, all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work and he rested on the seventh day. Look with me at the eighth Psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. For the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him 
and the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all the sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That was what God was after in creation. God gave us the account of creation so that we would praise him such as is done in, in the eighth Psalm. O Lord, our Lord. He begins the same as he ends. How majestic is thy name in all the earth. That's the correct response to Genesis 1. The correct response is not to question it. It's not to argue about it. It's not to debate it. The correct response to Genesis 1 is to fall on our face and cry just like the psalmist. How majestic is your name, O Lord, our Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for all the blessings you give us. Thank you for the Genesis account of creation that helps us understand how great, how awesome you are. Father, as we continue in this study, may it not be a source of debate, may it not be a source to argue, but may it bring praise and honor to your name. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all the mercy and the goodness you show each and every one of us. I pray a blessing on each and every viewer right now. In Jesus' name. Well, on today's program, like we do on every program, we have a special offer for you. Again, a, a resource to um, help you further your understanding of God's creation and the uniqueness of who we are and what God has done. And our resource we have for you today is a special edition of the Signs of the Time magazine, and it's entitled Our Amazing Universe. Uh, it's, a, it's a small magazine, but it's got some wonderful articles in here. The Uniqueness of Humans, uh, A Designed Universe. It's a gift from Lessons for Living Television to you, our viewers. There's no obligation on your part. There's no cost. It will arrive in your home postage paid. If you would like to receive a special copy of this Signs of the Times magazine, here is the information you need for us to get it out to you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G0A3. And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. 
For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Operators are standing by now. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request, and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Well, we've come to the end of another television program. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know some of you do that week in and week out. We appreciate it. A uh, couple of things. I want to remind you of our website, l4ltv.com. On the website, all of the previous programs are there. Uh, you can send us a prayer request or your comments on the program. You can find out where I will be appearing live. Most Saturdays, I am at my church, the Harmony Church in Toronto. There's a link there that will show you the direction. For those of you that are in the Toronto area, it's roughly at Bayview and Steeles in that area there. Come out and join us. We're there uh, most Saturdays at about 10 o'clock for Bible study, then 11.30 for worship. Come on. Small congregation, but it's a very welcoming congregation, and you can come just as you are, just like the song says, just as I am. You can come that way, and you can join uh, some uh, loving Christians that have come to worship and praise. Um, on that website, there's also a donate tab. And on that page, you can make a donation to this ministry to help keep this ministry on the air, to pay for the studio time, to pay for the air time, uh, to pay for the gifts we give out. Uh, all of the money goes directly to the, to the ministry. It doesn't come to pay for my salary. We are a charitable organization, so your gift is tax deductible. So if you can help us out with an offering, we would appreciate that. And please keep us in your prayers. Now, I want to also draw your attention to another website, which is the missionnowcanada.com website. Mission Now Canada is the mission work branch of our ministry. And we do mission work uh, overseas. We provide dental care and medical care, and we build churches and other buildings. And if you've never been part of a mission trip, why not join us on our next one? You'll see when you go on the website, there's a countdown that'll show you exactly where we're going on our next trip. And you can ask for information, and we can send you information, share with you what's involved in joining us on the trip. If you can't join us on the trip, on the missionnowcanada.com website, you can make a donation specifically for that particular component of our ministry, which is the mission work. You can help us buy uh, clothing for underprivileged children or medical supplies, dental supplies. You can help us build a church. It's all outlined there on the donation page. Want to remind you also of our Facebook page, our Lessons for Living Television Facebook page. You know, right after the program airs, I put the program on Facebook. It's also on our YouTube channel. And on the Facebook page, you can then share it just by clicking the share button with all of your friends. And it becomes a great way to get the message spread throughout our nation and literally around the world, right? And we know that until this gospel is preached in every nation, every kindred, every tongue, as a testimony, only then will Jesus return. So you can play a role in getting the gospel message out by just going on the Facebook page, Lessons for Living Television Facebook page, finding this week's program, and hit share. And that'll go 
to your network, and then as your friends get it, it goes to their network. I'm running out of time. They're telling me I have to go. Uh, I hope next time we come, you're going to be here with us. I'll be praying for that. God bless you. We'll see you back here again real soon.